you would turn with me to John chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 9 through 21. I'll start with a word of prayer. Father, you know, Lord, that uh, I'm just a feeble vessel. Lord, that uh, you are the one who works through us. Lord, I ask that uh, you be before me this morning as I bring this forth. Lord, that uh, you would also have it work in the hearts of everybody here. Lord, I ask that uh, there be great understanding with this message. Lord, that uh, we would just see you. Lord, that you would speak and it not be me. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for all of us. Lord, how you've protected us. Lord, I ask that... uh, We would believe in you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. John chapter 3, 9 through 21. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen. And you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God." You'll have to bear with me this morning. I am going to turn to these passages along with you. I have several that uh, you'll want to follow along with here. But as we start this here, we see Nicodemus. And the context of this passage actually comes starting eight verses before when Nicodemus comes to Jesus during the night. And... The one thing about Nicodemus that you need to know is that he was a Pharisee. It says that in verse 1, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And it says that he came to Jesus by night and said to him, 
Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus had a great reputation amongst the Pharisees. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was called the teacher of Israel. As uh, Jesus says in verse 10, he says, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? So Nicodemus was considered a very high esteem amongst the Jews and the Pharisees. And you look at what he says here. In verse 2, he comes to him and he calls him rabbi. So he's coming to him at night and he calls him rabbi. And rabbi means my master or my teacher. So this man of great stature, he's coming to Jesus at night and he's calling him rabbi. He's calling him his teacher. And the reason he's coming at night is because if he were to come during the day and all the other Pharisees were around him, this would be something that would be very controversial to have him confess this to Jesus in public, that he's acknowledging him as a great teacher when in all reality what they've seen of Nicodemus is that he is the teacher of Israel. So for him to do this is very great controversy. Jesus tells him he needs to be born again in these first eight verses. And Nicodemus seems to be kind of beside himself with the whole thing. He comes out and he says in verse 9, How can these things be? He doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. So now, in this section that we're looking at, Jesus is explaining to him that it comes down to this, that he must believe in him. We see in this passage, the word believe is used seven different times. So I think Jesus is trying to tell him something. If we look at the English dictionary definition of what the word believe means, means to accept something as true. So is Jesus simply telling Nicodemus that he's just to accept him as true? I think that's a tragedy that we have in the church today because this word is so much more, and it means so much more than to accept something that's true. So let's look at what this word believe is. In the Hebrew, the word believe... And it's different tenses, believes, believed, believer, is all one word. It's only one word that's used for that in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language. It means to confirm or support. It has many English translated words. Made a lot of times in the English, it can be translated into doorposts, to confirm, to endure, be faithful, trustworthy, even unreliable in a negative context. In the Greek, there are five words for this word believe that we translate. And their tenses, again, believes, believed, believer. Two of them refer to a gender context. 
as in a believing spouse, uh, male or female. One is used in a negative context, to disbelieve or to be faithless. Okay, But what we're looking at is something that has much deeper meaning than what our English mindset of the word is. Simply to accept something as true is not, you know, a very deep thing. We can, you know, many times we look at things and we can say, yeah, that's true. But does it really mean that you have any action into it or that you even really believe that it is? So let's, let's look at this. What we're looking at has a deep meaning of faithfulness, reliability, and trustworthiness. We're going to look at Abraham, and if you will move to Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, I'm going to start by uh, giving you a little bit of background of what's going on. Abraham, as we know him, he's being called Abram at this time because God has not changed his name yet. We see that God speaks to him, commands him to leave his land and his people, and go where God promises to give him land and a son. Abram somewhat does what God commands. He seems to want to do it his own way instead. He brings everything he owns. He even brings one of his relatives, Lot. So he really didn't leave anything behind. (laughs) He goes and he's kind of believing what God says, but he's, he's wanting to kind of stay in his comfort zone. And we come to verse, we come to 15, 1 through 6. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Verse 6, Abraham believed in the Lord. This is the first time in the account of Abraham that we see that it says that he believed in the Lord. And we see here that he believed in the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. So his belief has been credited to him as righteousness. God gave him his belief. He showed him what he was going to do. And he counted it to him as righteousness. In Romans 4.3, Paul repeats this belief as an account of righteousness. 
In Galatians 3, 6-9, he says, Abraham believed and calls Abraham the believer. Abraham believed God and went so far in his belief that in Genesis 22, he actually was willing to kill and sacrifice his own son to God. Another example of believing, we'll go to 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16. Paul's writing here to Timothy. He said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Yet, for this reason, I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience and example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul speaks of his past life, how he thought he was doing everything for God how he thought he was doing the right things for God. And as we know, God stopped him on the Damascus road, blinded him, and said, why are you persecuting me? Was He was persecuting the church and arresting Christians. But Paul in this point here, in verse 16, says, his perfect patience is an example for those who believe in him for eternal life. Paul is an example for those who would believe in Christ. Paul is setting is to be is shown as an example for those who believe. His life was so transformed, and Abraham was too, that it is a model it is shown as a model in Scripture for those who would believe. First John 3.23, there's a command to believe. It says, This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Believing is a commandment. According to First John, we want to look at also there's salvation, and eternal life through believing in Christ. Acts 16, and we're going to get more into some closer scripture passages here. <laughs> but Acts 16, 22 through 34, we're going to see that Paul was imprisoned with Silas. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. 
When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely, and having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house, And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all of his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. We see the jailer believed in God through this event and through Paul and Silas giving him this information that he must believe. And he rejoiced in it. And he was saved, him and his household. We look at 1 John 5.13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. If you believe in the Son of God, you know that you have eternal life. Romans 10, 9-11 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. John twenty, thirty through 31 It says, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. We have eternal life in Christ's name if we believe in Him, this belief. Here's the famous one. It's in our text here. John 3.16. Pretty much everybody knows that. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So we see that this belief in Christ leads to eternal life and salvation. 
But what happens to those who do not believe in Christ? Well, we see John 3.36. Let's look at that. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Those who don't believe, the wrath of God abides on them. John 3.18-19, through 19, again in our text here, He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the Holy Begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. This says if you do not believe in Christ, you'll be judged. You'll have judgment because your deeds are evil. We look at Mark 16.16. Like I said, we're going through a lot of these here. I got 14 of them. I'm sorry. (laughs) He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who is disbelieved shall be condemned. So we see that those who do not have this belief in Christ, the wrath of God abides on them. They'll be judged for their evil deeds, and they're condemned. But on a more positive note, there's unity in those who believe in Christ. Let's go to Acts 2, 44-47. And those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So they were all together. They had all things in common. They were even selling their property and their possessions because of this belief they had in Christ. It says, They took their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were all one together because of this belief they had in Christ. Acts 4.32-33 And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And the great power of the, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. They're of one heart and one soul. 
They all claim to be together. They all claim that anything belonging to them wasn't His own. They had such a love for each other and this belief in Christ and such a unity that they were all one. I mean, you don't see that today with a lot of things. You know, somebody goes and gives something up that's theirs. They want to go and get something back for it. They want some recognition. Give me a tax break. You know, what? But this is not what this is. These people had this belief and they loved each other so much through the belief in Christ that everything they had, they'd be willing to give up at any time without any recognition for it. Let's go to Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 10.11 and 12 goes along with this. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. Brothers and sisters, the Jews and the Gentiles or the Greeks, the same thing. They were not unified. They were not one. There was no way that you got them together back in these days and even there's even some of that today there was no way that there was no there was any unity between those people and yet the gospel for those who believe they're all unified as one this freaked paul out this was an amazing thing to him so we see that there's unity in christ in this belief in christ that there is so I want to ask you something today. What does your belief look like? Are you like those we saw who believed in Christ and it was counted as righteousness and they were saved? Do you have unity with other believers? Other believers in Christ? Do you have a great love for Christ and the works of God? Or are you condemned to the wrath of God in judgment, doing the evil deeds of this world. That's something that you have to acknowledge between yourself and God. But I want to look at one last thing here. John 19, if you would turn with me at this, 38 through 42. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted him permission, so he came and took away his body. But look at who we see next. 
Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. You think Nicodemus got the message? I do. Nicodemus came to Christ at night, and now he is openly showing that he believed in the words of Jesus and that he believed in Christ. So much so he helped in the burial of the body of Jesus. He turned away from the evil Pharisees because there's no way that the Pharisees would have accepted him now. So again, what does your belief look like? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that uh, you have given us this great and wonderful salvation through believing in you, Lord. This belief that is just not a, a flippant, just accepting something to be true, Lord, that it's a deep, powerful thing that has action, Lord, that has boldness. Lord, I pray that everyone here believes in you as you commanded in First John, that we would believe in you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was raised from the dead on the third day. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. I ask that we would believe in you with this belief. In Jesus' name, amen.